Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast is more 90s than a Mike Tyson bites your ear. My name's Ash Rose, your advocate for all things 1990s and your host on this journey back to the decade that changed football forever. Thank you for hitting that download button again and joining us on our weekly nostalgia trip. Uh, I hope you enjoyed last week's actually. We, we look back at France 98, we got some uh, good comments on Twitter for that and yeah, it made me more, more nostalgic for the tournament than I had been in the past. I've always been a man who looks back at 90 and 94 uh, a bit more fondly than 98 but I think that was well looked back on some good memories a good bit of nostalgia which I hope is the aim of this podcast really so I hope you guys got that too um, from last week and cheers for the guys who made it possible last week as well and um, we'll have them back on actually we've got one back on tonight so I can thank him in person it also got me in mood for tournament time too and yes I've been sucked back into the world of collecting stickers once again uh, with the official Euro 2016 collection. I know I shouldn't really be worrying about getting too Croatia shiny so quickly or, or being excited that I've almost completed Austria but even my age I bloody love it I tell you. Um, problem now is I don't have to limit pocket money to buying packets and it seems that kind of every time I'm going into a news agent I ended up coming out with more stickers so if you do want any swaps then uh, hit me up on twitter at ash rose uk i think that's the first time i've actually said my own personal twitter account on here so yeah that's at ash rose uk go ahead on that um it's just something brilliant isn't there about opening packets of stickers it's just something very nostalgic about it which of course what is we talk about on here constantly as well and you can actually hear us talk more on that subject uh, about stickers we did a sticker pod earlier in the season which is a great show that we did and a great interview on that with uh, mickey king as well we had great fun talking about all the stickers merlin panini all that kind of malarkey uh, we did that earlier season go back uh, and check out all that on itunes as well um i also watched that sky sports program this week that got the full uh, monday night football treatment of that classic liverpool game from 1996 against newcastle the 4-3 it was a brilliant way i thought to acknowledge the 20th, oh my God, 20th anniversary seems so long ago, doesn't it now, of that game. And it, it still holds up as well, doesn't it? Like the drama and everything else, Keegan slumping over the advertising ball, Collymore closing in. That no, was a good show. And I, th- I think they should do that more often, kind of give nostalgic games a proper kind of modern Monday night football twist. I know they did it with the uh, 66 World Cup earlier in, in the season as well. So yeah, that's a great idea. Um, and again, that's a match we talked about on our Matches of the Decade podcast early in season and got to speak to Roy Evans about that game so again check that out but tonight though battle lines have been drawn as we talk some big rivalries of the 1990s of course the 90s were a great decade for rivalries all over the place not just football because you had sporting ones like Ben and Eubank and Eubank and Collins Holyfield and Tyson as I mentioned at the top of the show Agassiz and Sampras of course in the tennis world then music who could forget the blur of the oasis that kind of dominated the whole Britpop era and even take that for E17 and you know what side were you on on that one probably none of them and what about Stone Cold v The Rock very apt Wrestlemania week this week as well that was a big 90s rivalry and football of course was no different so we're going to be talking rivals on the pitch off the pitch and even looking back at some of the big derby games of the decade too. So before we meet our guests of the moment, let's always hear how you can keep in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s. Um, again, I always say it, we get images and stuff, any questions or anything you want to, like themes as well. We've been asking any themes for the rest of the season. Is there anything we haven't covered? Please get in touch. Give us a follow on Twitter. And if you want to listen to the previous 29 shows, uh, this is, uh, yes, it's, it's show 30. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to listen to any of the 29 previous ones where we covered so much of the decade, um, go on iTunes. They're all there or on the website, ak90s.co.uk on SoundCloud. And if you are on iTunes, do give us a rating and review. I know some of you have done that recently and it's really much appreciated. So thank you very much for that. Okay, so that's meet tonight's guest then. And it's a welcome back for each of these, actually. Second time round for everybody tonight on the pod. Um, firstly, talking Newcastle and, of course, that Keegan moment. It's Mag- Magpies fan and writer at Match of the Day magazine, Matt Ketchell. Evening, Ketch. Evening, Ash. Thank you for joining us again. Um, joining him is Guna and your man for everything TNA wrestling in the UK, Simon Rostein. Evening, Si. Evening, Ash. How are you doing, mate? Nice to see Arsenal finally playing good football now. We've got nothing to play for. <laughs> That's the standard, <laughs> is it? That's what happens. Pretty standard. Yeah, not like the 90s, as we'll talk to you in just a minute about. And the meat in the middle of our rival sandwich is a welcome back to Shoot the Defences, Mike Pieri. We'll be talking all things United. Evening, Mike. Good evening, gents. How are you? We're all good. Thank you very much. Um, we'll get your second CV parts in a minute, but here's quite a few things that happened this week in the 1990s. On the 7th of April 94, Paul Gascoigne breaks his leg while playing in a training game at Lazio. On the 7th of April 99, Ryan Giggs scores a late equaliser as Manchester United draw 1-1 with Juventus in the Champions League. We all know how that ended up. 
A for April 96, David Booth famously injures his, knee, uh, his leg and tibula and fibula in the decade's most horrifying injury. You can actually listen back to David talk about that injury in a podcast we did earlier in the season. Night of April 95, Daniel Amakachi scores twice as Everton beat Spurs 4-1 in the FA Cup semi-final. Again, Daniel Amakachi, a guest on our USA 94 podcast. Go back and listen to that. Night uh, of April 94, Gavin Peacock scores twice as Chelsea beat Luton in the FA Cup semi-final. On the 9th of April 97, Coventry beat Chelsea 3-2 in a game that's best remembered for Chelsea forgetting their kit and having to play in Coventry's away kit. Brilliant. You see Gian Fragazzolo playing in Coventry kit. Go and check that out on YouTube. On the 10th of April 93, Steve Bruce scores twice deep into injury time against Sheffield Wednesday as Fergie time is invented. On the 12th of April 94, Arsenal secured their place in the Cupmaners Cup final by beating PSG. Two more, 12th of April 95, Roy Keane is dismissed for a stamp on Gareth Southgate United's FA Cup final replay. And 12th of April 1999, Michael Owen suffers a first hamstring injury in a 0-0 match with Leeds. And we all know how they would plague him for the rest of his career. So this is second time round for everyone. We talk matches we've got. So let's go to the Toonami. And Matt, so your favourite 90s match for Newcastle? Well, it doesn't get much better than beating Barcelona at home in the Champions League. (laughs) I thought um, that might come up, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I was in the second row of the Gallagher end. Um, we went 3-0 up. There was no Shearer. He'd broken his ankle in the Umbro Cup in pre-season. So we had uh, Yondal Thomas and Tino up front. John Barnes also started the game and Ian Rush was on the bench. So uh, you can tell it was a Kenny Daglish team. And uh, it was all about Gillespie and Tino. Uh, Gillespie just down the, w- down the right wing all night. Incredible. Putting these crosses in and Tino was just hanging in the air. Two amazing headers, a penalty... Um, and it was just one of those amazing European nights. Kalina was the referee, um, and three 0 up at, at home to Barcelona. It was the loudest ever. It's in James's Park, and uh, a couple of lads called Figo and Luis Enrique scored. But uh, we held on, and it was just amazing. It was one of those look how far we've come moments because um, you know five years earlier we would, we nearly got relegated to the the third tier of, of uh, the football league, and, and then we were beating Barcelona at home. So I'll never forget it. Yeah, I'll never forget Tino's. A sp- uh, celebration with the corner flag, didn't he? Picked it up and put the shirt on it and stuff. I always remember yeah. that. Good I, don't think, I don't think that was that game. I think that was a, a UEFA Cup game and, um, or, or another season. It wasn't actually Barcelona. He just did his normal cartwheel for, for, oh, for Barcelona. Oh, yeah, of course he did. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. I got booked for that other one now. Uh, yeah. Outside of St. James's, then, your favourite game of the 90s? Well, it's a uh, balmy summer night at the Old Wembley when we beat Holland 4 1. Yeah. Um, I actually watched that game with my primary school at a cinema in the Metro Centre. Would you believe it? Which was like a, it was like a reward. We won the league um, in year six, and they, they took us to the Metro Centre to watch the game. And um, just I remember, you know, the kit that which I've actually now got a replica of with Shearer nine and, and the score embroidered on the front. And uh, I mean, we just wanted to get a, a sneaky one nil in that game, and we absolutely battered them um, from the moment that bit of skill from Paul Ince drew a pen, which which Daily Blind actually gave away, if I remember rightly. Um, Gaza with bleached hair just pulling the strings in midfield and then Shearer and, and Sheringham up front we um, recently interviewed Shearer for Match of the Day magazine he said Sheringham was the best you know, strike partner he ever played with I think they played together 20 times and the, uh, 17 times sorry and they scored about they scored 20 goals together so um, and I think the icing on the cake that night was the, the late Cliver goal which actually <laughs> put the poor sweaty yeah. socks yeah so a uh, <laughs> bit of a chuckle at the end of that but uh, it was just a, like one of those games you'll, you'll never forget yeah good choice I'm sure we'll talk more about that on our Euro Night 6 pod which we're doing at the end of the season because it'll be our 20th anniversary then let's go to Arsenal then and Sai your um, Arsenal game in the 90s a few to choose from what are you going for? yeah there's quite a few to choose from actually I mean for me it has to be the FA Cup final when I'm afraid that it was Newcastle that we beat um, you know 2-0 winning the double as much as the the game and you know that very quick goal from Overmars which sort of settled all the nerves um, the only disappointment in the game was Ian Wright not coming on I just remember sitting there thinking why doesn't he just bring Wright on for a few minutes after being such a great servant to the club but you know winning the double and as much as the game I remember afterwards just celebrating celebrating at Wembley going to Arsenal celebrating outside Arsenal celebrating everywhere. You remember like I'd just sort of come of age and really started following us. So I think I'd just got the season ticket the year before. Mm. So um, when I was a kid, I'd been to the odd game and watched it on TV. This was the first time I was actually following them all over the country. Um, and then to win the double in that season, it would always be very special. Even though we had another double afterwards and we had an unbeaten season, just that game and that memory was just fantastic. Good choice, yeah, good choice. And outside of Highbury, of course, what would you say your game of the 90s would be? I think, like, 
almost everyone that does your podcast for the second time is probably picking something from Euro 96 <laughs> because outside you, your favourite game is not really going to be Manchester United winning the league or Liverpool having a, coming back from a stunning reverse. It's always going to be an England game. And although Holland's been said, and that was a great game, I've got to say Gazza's goal against Scotland. Yeah, Being an Arsenal fan and always being sorted about his goal in 91, this was a goal I could really enjoy. The Gazza's goal on celebration against Scotland is just, for me, the memory of being in my twenties and just watching every game of that tournament and just England, you thinking for the first time, even more than the world cup in 1990, I think that was the first time I thought, Hey, England have got the best team here. We can really do something. We won't talk about what happened a few games after that, but that yeah. game and that memory certainly for me, but it's, it's probably a common one. Yeah. It's funny that summer. I mean, we will we'll talk about this later in, in the season, but it's just the feeling of that. summer. if you were around, like you say, in that summer of a certain age, it was just, it was magical, wasn't it? And it's no surprise you both chose a year and I six game there. Cause it really was just a, a magical summer. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. that's finish off with um, Mike and Man United again. What how, so many to choose from? Would it be 99? Would that be your game of the nineties? Um, well, you're quite right. I'm blessed to have so many significant matches to choose from and many that ended with winning a trophy. I mean, 99 as a whole season springs to mind. Also, the Liverpool 3-3 draw. But one that I'm going to choose is from a personal point of view, um, Crystal Palace at Sellers Park in 1993. Because that was a night when United fans really believed we were going to be champions again after the disappointment of the previous season. I mean, it was quite interesting. I went to quite a few games that season. And throughout that season, home and away, in fact, Throughout the season, every game, the older heads among the fans would stop anyone, and it was usually us youngsters, from starting any, we're going to win the league chant. And that night at Sillers Park, our main rivals for the title, I don't know if you remember, um, Aston Villa, they mm. kicked off earlier, and they were actually losing 3-0 at Blackburn. And at every opportunity, uh, when, when United either had, had a, an attacking corner or defending a corner, were trying to tell all the players. I mean, I remember screaming at Steve Bruce, they're losing, they're losing. Um, I mean, Mark Hughes volleyed um, United ahead with a trademark goal just after the hour mark. Uh, Paul Lintz added a late second and we were in ecstasy. And for the first time that season, we sang we're going to win the league in belief rather than hope. Um, Sky Sports run their, their regular Premier League years. And for 1993, they actually cut to the crowd after this match. You can actually see a young Mike Pieri with a crazy <laughs> haircut, singing loud and proud, wearing that awful blue and black kit that we had in the early 90s. Oh, that was a great kit. Your Man United kits in the early 90s were brilliant. You know, like the, the Lee Sharp kind of purple one that kind of they added us of trying to repeat in the black kit this season. That's one of my yeah. favourite kits, that one. Um, but yeah, other than Man United then, uh, favourite match of the 90s, are you going to stick with the Euro 96 boys? I'm not, no, I'm not. I mean, um, fr- from the last show when, um, when I said my, non, uh, my non-United favourite player um, is, is the reason why I've chosen this game. It's Leicester v Arsenal on 27th of August, 1997. Incredible finish to the game. Um, included a sublime hat-trick from Danny Spurkamp and it was just an, it's an amazing finish I mean Arsenal led 2-1 on 61 minutes thanks to two Burkamp goals but Leicester equalised through Matty Elliott in stoppage time Burkamp then scored that amazing goal we brought the ball out yeah. uh, out of the air took it uh, took under control shifted the ball from his right foot to his left foot tricked his way beyond um, Elliott and then had the composure to beat Casey Keller Arsenal fans must have thought that was it, game done. Leicester fans must have thought that was game done. But then Steve Walsh grabbed Leicester's third um, on the, I think, with six minutes into injury time and uh, for the match to end three-three. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, no, it was a good game. We actually, funny enough, today's guest played in that game, so we'll be talking to him a bit oh, later wow. on in the show uh, about that game. So just quickly on that, you know, obviously an Arsenal game after that Burkamp hat trick. What what a moment! I was going to say that was. Yeah, if I hadn't been able, if I hadn't picked the cup final, I would have been up there. That Burkamp Patrick, that goal, goal of the season was just absolutely incredible. I mean, it was an incredible time, and I think we're going to come on to run between Arsenal and Man United, but probably one of the most incredible games I attended in the 90s, but it could never be my favourite because we lost, was the game, was the FA Cup semi-final with Giggs' goal on the, the yeah. shirt. It's just those up and downs of football that I love. The other ironic thing I noticed was Aston Villa being main champions for the title. I wonder if it... 10, 20 years' time, so I'll be doing the podcast and so on. I'll mention, oh, yeah, Leicester were the main challenges that year and people are looking at it the same way. Yeah, that was, yeah, it's, it's funny to think. Now, Villa, you know, it's, they, had, they did well in the 90s. They won a few cups as well. It's so sad to see what's happened there from a boardroom level. But that's talk rivalries then. Um, I was, we're going to talk Man United-Arsenal uh, quite a lot. So let's start with 
Um, the reason we've got Mr. Ketch on here and mid nineties were dominated by a rivalry at the top of the league. May United were the Giants, Newcastle were the new boys. I mean, let's quickly first talk, Matt, about that Newcastle team. It's probably, I imagine for you, the best team you've seen of your lifetime. And just wax lyrical about that Keegan team first. Oh, it was, it was just, it was just incredible. I mean, it was just the Keegan at the time, his, his team talks were always, you know, go out and do it for the fans. And his favourite saying at the time was, this is a roller coaster, get on it. Um, and the team he assembled were just amazing. We had a superstar up front, Les Ferdinand. Um, Peter Beardsley, you know, local lad who'd come back and, and, and was as good as ever. Um, Defence, we'll probably not talk about it as much because uh, they weren't too sharp. But uh, the late Powell Cernicek in goal as well was, was a real character. Um, Gillespie, you know, just, just young guys, just, just on the crest of a wave, just hanging on Keegan's words and, and, and responding to his, his passion and positivity. It was just amazing to see. And it, it, it kind of hurts me to, to talk about it because we're so far away from that now. But... Uh, uh, yeah, at the time you think this is you, this is it. We're set for life. This is what I'm going to be watching for the rest of my time as a Newcastle fan. But it uh, hasn't quite panned out that way. Mm, not this season. But let's keep it 90s. I mean, Mike, what did you? I mean, you had a few rivalries as we'll talk about Man United in the 90s. But how did you see Newcastle as they started to become that main challenger to Man United? Was it the you know the quick start new boys? How did you view their challenge and, and the Keegan team? Um, well, oh, I mean, Newcastle, they, they were the entertainers, weren't they? They were dubbed the entertainers. They were a brilliant team to watch, the way they attacked. And uh, there was there was no defence at all. They just went, you know, they'd rather win 5-4 than just take a 1-0. Take a I mean, in terms of the rivalry, I mean, there were things as much off the field as on the field. I mean, you know, United bought Andy Cole. Um, Shearer chose Newcastle. Um, and it, it was just a wonderful time where United were this giant club winning trophies, winning the league, and everyone else who wasn't a United fan wanted Newcastle to win. And really, that's how United fans like it. Mm. So would you agree with that as an Arsenal fan? Were you rooting for Newcastle during that era? Um, yeah, until Keegan went mad, and then I was back <laughs> for United. Yeah, that was how neutrals felt. I mean, we, you know, that era was also the match that everyone remembers, although Man United got the better of it, is, is the 5-0 win. Uh, Matt, I mean, that must have been the crescendo to that team that night that you beat them 5-0. Oh yeah, it was it was incredible, and we'd we'd, we'd signed we signed Shearer that summer, and we thought he was the the mis- missing piece in the jigsaw, and uh, that was quite early in the season. I think it was about October time, and we thought, well, that, that's it. You know, we've got the, got the edge on them, and um, but the the you know the bitter thing about that is that we didn't actually go on to win the league. We didn't even really push. Although we finished second, we didn't really we didn't really push them. And I think uh, Keegan left towards the end of that season, and uh, we kind of. Man United like walked the league, so um, it was an amazing day. We'll, we'll never forget that. But uh, we still didn't win the league. Well, as a, yeah, as a neutral, again, I got to say, like the fact that that Newcastle team never won the league is is upsetting. I think everyone, like, oh, like I joked about them earlier, like this year, how everyone wants Leicester to win the league. I think there was a thing like for Newcastle to come, you know, this amazing club with this amazing support base to win the league with what was the most exciting team to watch. It's a real shame that they didn't do it. As, as exciting as Man United's football was at times, I just think they're saying about that Newcastle side that everyone wanted to see win. At one point, it was just, you know, they had the classic matches with United, the amazing matches with Liverpool. There's that era. And Keegan was probably, we've talked about favourite players outside of our clubs, but favourite manager outside of our clubs, without a doubt, Kevin Keegan. And when he didn't do it for England, I was really upset because I really, he really was. It, it's like if you hear Quentin Tarantino's directed a movie, you go and watch it. If you hear Kevin Keegan's managing a football team, you go and watch them. He was that good. The football was that good. Mm-hmm. That's a great quote. We'll use that, Si. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, Matt, I mean, as a Newcastle fan, the, you know, ev- what everyone remembers from the 90s and Keegan and the kind of main boiling point of that rivalry was the interview on Sky Sports, the love it, love it, love it. What did you think, seeing that as a Newcastle fan at that point, did you think he's lost it or he's really got to him? What, what were your thoughts on that? No, no. It was the, the the reaction was completely positive. It was the reaction was come on, this is not over yet. And uh, I think that's exactly what Keegan was trying to do. He was he was I think he'd he was trying to get the team over the line. He was under a lot of pressure. We we were a game behind Man United, and we needed to, to win every game. We, we were three points behind and a game behind. And uh, he was just trying. I think he was just trying something different. He probably, he probably run out of ideas. You know, he, he tactically wasn't great, and he was just trying to channel the energy of the fans and and get a reaction. Um, 
and it, it was it was pure theatre, but there was a lot of pressure going around. And I think the interview that people forget um, is the the interview that Fergie did, which which sparked Keegan's reaction, which, which was after the Leeds game, and he accused Leeds of of uh, you know cheating the manager, clubs like Nottingham Forest cheating the managers by accusing them of he was saying they weren't going to try as hard against Newcastle as they would against uh, Man United and that's really what sparked that that reaction in Keegan and, and Keys and Gray that night I mean it's fascinating to watch back the interview but Keys and Gray I, I think they sensed Keegan wanted to say something and if you watch back the interview uh, which I'm sure you have is he starts off Keegan is very happy and, and jovial and, and Keys and Gray do a bit of a good cop bad cop where Gray's agreeing with Keegan and and, and Keyes is saying, well, isn't this just part and parcel of football? And then it just as a switch goes off in, in KK and he's all of a sudden jabbing his finger into the into the camera and, and shouting. And it's just a com- combination of emotion. And I think he later spoke about it and said he had headphones on and, and he didn't realise how much he was shouting. Um, and he flips mm-hmm. and, you know, saying, I would love it. I would love it. And he's actually saying it in a, in a Geordie accent, which is strange considering he grew up in Doncaster. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's pressure. It's pressure. We had yeah. three, our last three games in, in six in six days. Um, and it, it was real pressure. We had to go to Nottingham Forest two days after that and, and we, we drew and we needed to win. Um, but there's actually a funny anecdote um, from the hotel of the, the morning of the, the Forest game where um, David Batty... And it, it has to be said as well, the reaction among the players, if you, if you ever speak to any of the players, the reaction among the players was, was very very positive. They also yeah. thought, come on, let's, let's, try and, let's try and do it. And I think he was trying to motivate them. But um, David Batty was in the, uh, they were having breakfast in the hotel before the Nottingham Forest game. And uh, Batty turns to Keegan and says, Gaffer, I would love it if you gave me a piece <laughs> of bacon. And, the, you know, the ice was broken. Um, and it, the, the, the players, I think, were motivated by it. And, and if, if, if we'd won the league, Everyone would have pointed to that moment and went, genius from Keegan, he's, he's, he's got them over the line, but it, it just wasn't meant to be. Mike, as a United fan, do you see that as the point that Fergie possibly got to Keegan in that rivalry? I mean, I, I think a lot, a lot is made of um, you know, mind games and psychology and, and Fergie trying to rile other managers. But I think the media had a massive part to play in that. Um, I, I, think, I think you're right where, you know, had Newcastle gone on to win, it would have been the other way around. But I just think that such as such as what happened, it just then went deflected to the to the winners. Where ah, this is why it happened. Ferguson, uh, you know, pulled him in. You know, dangled something. Keegan went. But I think the momentum had, had, had turned already, and I think United were, were you know were on top at that point, and were going to go on to win the league. And I think just Keegan just you know because he's very very emotional man. You know, we saw it when he was in charge of England as well when he when he quit after the Germany game. That um yeah. You know, it, it was just him trying to, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve. And yeah, I think it was uh, It's very, very easy now to look back and say, yep, yeah, it was Ferguson mind games. I don't think it was premeditated. I think it was, you know, did he look for a reaction? I'm not sure. I think he was looking more to his own players rather than for Newcastle or Kevin Keegan to crack. Mm. Well, we know how it ended and it did end on a Man United side, but great memories for Newcastle fans of that team I mean I personally was a neutral and I did yeah I was behind Newcastle but Man United showed there and I think they got to the end with that, with that brilliant brilliant team so that that would be one rivalry in the 90s we're going to talk a few more after we talk to today's guest as I said earlier he did play in that famous Leicester Arsenal game um, and had a big rivalry actually in the 90s with Steve Ball um, he's a very happy Leicester player at the moment um, he's Leicester legend actually and former captain Steve Walsh talking to us earlier today on Alive and Kicking. Steve Walsh, welcome to Alive and Kick In. Thank you for joining us on today's show. Yeah, good morning, guys. It's great to have you on. Um, of course, we're a 90s football podcast and we'll talk about your time at Leicester in the 90s in just a second. But we can't, this season especially, talk to you about Leicester without talking about what's going on currently. As a Leicester <laughs> legend, how, how are you finding this season? It's just mental, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's incredible. Um, you know, I still can't quite believe it myself. But uh, when I look at the last few years and um, the you know what they've been striving to build and the structure behind how they've been uh, trying to get there then you can see the picture of what has been going on behind the scenes and uh, this isn't just an overnight sensation albeit um, this time last year we were more or less bottom of the league so um, you know we have come a hell of a long way but um, like I say I've seen what's been going on in the academy I've seen what goes on with these owners, we've got to, uh, we've got to thank our owners very much for what they are doing in the community of Leicester. Um, you know, I see it firsthand what they do for local charities, for people you know not well. Um, you know, they're very, they're a great family who, um, you know, who have 
we've got to thank very much for what's happening. And uh, obviously, they're spending a lot of money and wealth investing into uh, um, a football club who now uh, they're going to see the fruitions of hopefully winning the league and um, having a lot more money to spend. Mm. In your wildest dreams, though, you've imagined this point of winning the Premier League and then obviously next season, it's almost a certainty now they'll be in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, um, it, it is. It's just an incredible story from you know the history making, you know, with the body, in, you know, stuff and, and what you know. The whole world is is behind us and uh, wants us to win. You know, you you get that feeling of mm. everywhere you go. Or even I think some of these, you know, Man Cities and 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 uh, you know Man United want us to win the league. You know, Alex Ferguson especially saying some really nice things on on TV. So. You know, I think we've got a. It's just been a you know a roller coaster ride from from last year, but uh, it's just an unbelievable uh, thing that's happened and uh, took a lot of people by surprise. But we're now we are a global brand, you know, and uh, Ranieri certainly fits the fits the bill. Brilliant. Well, also hopefully, fingers crossed, the things will work out there for Leicester this season. But let's take you back um, to probably pretty much the, the most successful point of Leicester's. Uh, history up to now and in, in the mid 90s yeah. as well with you you joined the club in 1986 but we'll go we'll go forward um to the 90s i mean the first sort of boom period for you was kind of the playoff finals in the early 90s what yeah. do you remember that yeah um, 92 92 was when it all started and don't forget i played uh, i think it's seven cup fight there were seven times at wembley you know that we in in the in that decade in the 90s so it's a massive uh career making um ambition for me uh, with playing all these finals. It started in 92 against Blackburn Rovers, where played against uh, the likes of Mike Newell, who was uh, at Wigan Athletic with me um, previously in 1986. And uh, David, a certain David Speedy, who, yeah. uh, who obviously the, that um, well-known incident of him uh, apparently diving. Well, it was a dive, I can tell you that now. Uh, <laughs> Although he'll back himself up, but uh, no, um, it was, I'll never forget that day. It was a red hot day, it was nearly 100, over 100 degrees inside the stadium. And um, and it really was a difficult game to play in, and it was a tight game. Uh, I think Newell missed the penalty as well. We didn't, I, I, I felt as though I didn't have a good game. It was my first time at Wembley and seemed to get overawed by the, the, the ground, the, the crowd, everything, you know. And uh, I didn't feel I played that well myself, but. Uh, Still, it was the first time, I'd, uh, you know, with with Leicester City that um, we'd got there, and uh, unfortunately um, lost out to Kenny Dalglish's Blackburn Rovers. You did, and then it was the match against Swindon a couple of years later as well. That you, Swindon was incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know, after losing to a disputed penalty, and we felt a little bit aggrieved against that. To 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 get that again um, in the fashion that we did, we was. Uh, you know, it, we were pretty low. That the, the, you know, you saw the images of all the team on the pitch, but uh, it was a, a a great game and what a comeback. You know, and it was a, one of them Leicester City never say die kind of last minute goals. You know, well not last minute goals, but it was just one of them comebacks that we used to kind of do fashionably um, in that era. And um, and it, it was a start of big things. You know, to come. Um, albeit, you know, I, I remember my mate who, who from Manchester, he uh, he offered me his Ferrari if we beat uh, Swindon that day, and I scored, <laughs> and um, I did I did score, and um, you know we uh, we we uh, again we lost to a disputed penalty, which I think we should have gone on to win that game. We had Swindon and Glen Hoddle team on the on, on the rack in the end, and uh, it was just uh, just a, a you know. One of them things, it happened again and uh, we were absolutely gutted, you know. Uh, but to get there twice was a, a, a big um, fate, you know. To, to actually get there twice in successive seasons was, was huge. And uh, to do it a third time with Brian Little was incredible, you know. An incredible story of, of, um, of Leicester City's, you know, tenacity and the way that we played. And uh, this time we weren't going to lose. Yeah, and you scored two goals in that final against Derby. Yeah, as well. I, mean, I was I was out all season at, at the Dummy Crucia, uh and I was out for nearly all that season, and uh, came back to the semi-final. I think the the uh, home leg uh, against um, Tranmere, I think it was, and uh, yeah, yeah, against Tranmere, and um, we yeah, I, I kind of at Dummy Crucia, and uh, yeah, I was like I said, I was out all season. So for me to get 
you know, to be fit for that game, first of all, was uh, a miracle. And um, in the end, scoring two goals was, uh, uh, you know, a dream come true. Yeah, one of them was quite late on, wasn't it, the winner as well? It was quite late on. It was, yeah, about 86 minutes, I think, if I remember rightly. It was, uh, yeah, only a tap-in, but you have to be there, don't you? But it's a great move, and I remember the ball from Jolchin being laid off. I laid it out, out the, uh, well, well, I think, was it me? Jolchin laid it out wide to Grayson, and he whipped a great cross in. Ormond Droid was attacking the near post, and I was kind of just behind him, really. And uh, I really, when he headed it, I must admit, I thought he'd scored, and uh, Taylor made a, an incredible save. And, uh, and it came back to me and, uh, and, it, and just, you know, nicked in, a, in, in between uh, a few people. I think it was Craig Shaw and uh, I forget who the other player was, but it was, uh, yeah, uh, victorious. And, uh, and, and I'll never, you know, forget that. And, and obviously I was, the, for the first time in the history of the club that we uh, made in, got, got into the Premier League, that was the first year that we got into the Premier League. And history was, was made and, um, and it was me and, and that famous photograph that um, everybody has it on the walls in Leicester uh, <laughs> by a guy called Neil Neil Medhurst and um, and he died uh, this week uh, unfortunately and so I just thought I'd mention that you know so condolences to him and his family um, but that famous picture was him. That's good sad news on that but I mean yes. you had a knack for scoring goals as a defender throughout your career what do you put that down to is that just being in the right place at the right time? Uh, I guess so, but there is a knack of scoring goals. And um, to be honest with you, the very first time I was put up front, Brian Little, I had two red cards in a week. And um, Brian Little had to be uh, do something. He stripped me of the captaincy and uh, and decided when I came back from his suspension to put me up front. And uh, <laughs> I trained every day when I when the lads had always be up front. So I knew how to hit the net. And um, and he just tried it, and um, and it worked really, really well. And uh, Martin O'Neill, in 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 the future years, he he um, you know used me as a kind of a weapon up front, especially when we we're, we're up against it, you know, to try and force the game. It was a tactic that we used very, very well. And um, you know, I ended up scoring sixty odd goals, which was uh, you know good for a, for a central defender come uh, centre forward, really. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, you know, I scored uh, all all my goals. There was a lot of them were very late, last minute goals, and I'll never forget. You know, the Arsenal three three game, the yeah. the Fulham yeah. where I got us back into the game at two two after making a mistake. You know, Southend away in the old white shirt, and and they were all last minute goals, minor for some reason. But, uh, I suppose when we were under the cosh, um, that's when I came out fighting, and um, and and that's when I was at my best. You know. Sticking the big man up front. You mentioned Martin O'Neill there because he obviously the next period of Leicester after that was, was yeah. all him and the team that he, he built was. and the uh, obviously League Cup win in '97, which you were man and match for in the final. I mean, how different is that to a playoff final and how big a deal was that to, to Leicester City? Yeah, it's a great accolade for me to be, to be a captain and to lift the trophy and uh, to to win the Coca Cola was 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 unbelievable. It was another right right up there with uh, the Derby final, you know, and some of the goals that I scored. Uh, and Martin orchestrated a um, a period of five six years that Leicester Leicester's best years, and and they've only just been capped now by this team, Leicester, you know, this new Leicester, t- you know, this year they are going to be rated as the best ever team in. Um, in the history of the club, I'm a little bit biased uh, because we didn't have much money in them days, and uh, you know Martin did a terrific job in in uh, in what happened in those years. But uh, you know to to get to Wembley and, and force a draw, we were quite, quite lucky to get away with the draw against Middlesbrough in that final and uh, force the draw and play at at uh, Hillsborough, Sheffield Wednesday in the replay and, and go and win it. I knew we were going to win it. I felt good in that. Uh, on that Wednesday night, I think it was, um, against Borough. And uh, I felt we'd been given that second chance and we were going to win it. Mm. And uh, and that's what we did. So that was uh, amazing to, to play in Europe on the back of that. Uh, Atletico Madrid, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, was a, a special uh, day as a captain to, to go there. And we went up up there with, with a, against, uh, in the cauldron, you know, it's... Uh, uh, a place you know that's hard to play, and and um, especially against the fans that they've got and the volatile situation it was. But it was uh, we went ahead after about three or four minutes. I nodded one down. Marshy put it in, and uh, we really got a little bit. Uh, we felt cheated, you know, by the referee. Um, but uh, you know, it's a harsh word to say about anybody, but we did feel that way at the time. And um, we, I didn't play in the replay because I did my hamstring against Leeds. 
and um, so that was disappointing for me to miss that replay. Otherwise, I, we could have progressed, you know. And I was disappointed, felt like I could let everyone down there. But to so, know, great, great results again, and uh, you know that was um, the way forward for, for Martin. You know, we were kind of doing so well under him, and you know, finishing eighth in the league was a high position, the highest position in the Premier League. I think we finished. Um, so it, it was good, happy days, and uh, you know, then it was another final. Um, the Worthington Cup, I think it was, wasn't it? Tottenham was a hard yeah. break, hard break. Yeah, that was a shame. With and after that, sending off, um, I forget who got sent off. Uh, friend, Stefan Friend, I think it was. And uh, I really thought we got that game in the bag as well. So that was a shame that we lost that one. But it was, yeah, like you say, a huge successful period. I, I kind of, kind of compare the team of that era to kind of a little bit to the current team because you had Houthi now that was kind of like your. Yeah, uh, you got, you got to look at yeah, yeah, you'd look at that. Uh, Team, you you would there's, there's certain comparisons there is, you know, and um, in it albeit in a totally different way and a different style of football, but comparisons in in ability of the players and the, what we, what they added to that team, there's definitely you know you, you can say Muzzy Lennon, you mm. know there definitely there are comparisons and uh, it was uh, you know you know if you compare compare me and Matt Elliott, you'd probably say like me Robert who. And uh, Wes Morgan, Matt Elliott, really, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, great days and uh, and a great period. And, and obviously that last final was uh, Tranmere, where I got suspended, uh, which I, I should have played in that final. I was, you know, I was I got a stupid red card against Chelsea uh, a few weeks before and missed out on a on a on a final I should have been captain for and, and involved in and uh, let myself down. But there you go. Hmm. Finally, before we, on this week's show, we're talking about famous rivalries of the 90s. Who did you least used to look forward to getting on the pitch with? I seem to remember you having a bit of a rivalry with Steve Ball uh, at some point. Was yeah, it, I, think, I think everybody, every, every Leicester fan would say that. Um, and it was. It was Wolves, Derby, Forest, the local derbies for me, you know, against all these clubs, all the Midlands teams, that, you know, Forest, uh, Derby, Wolves, all them teams, you know, West Brom, Birmingham, all the Midlands teams were rivalries and uh, they were fantastic games, but not, not any better than Bully. And uh, I speak to him now, we're friends and we do Q&As together, but we certainly kicked uh, 10 pieces of whatever you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> out of each other. I've still got his teeth marked in my head uh, from headbutting him, I think. So uh, happy days. But, uh, you know, then Sky Cameras came in and, uh, and obviously stopped all that. So you can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Well, brilliant. Thank you very much for talking to us, Steve. Here's hoping yes, to pull off the miracle later on this season. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. I'm, I'm hoping they will. I think they will as well. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Steve. Great stuff there from Steve. And yeah, he's really willing that club to do the impossible this season, but we'll see. But we'll take it back to the 90s and look at probably the biggest rivalry in terms of teams and, and the players that were involved in Arsenal Manchester United. And people do remember Fergie and, and Wenger towards kind of the latter 90s, but it all started. I don't know if you guys will probably recall this. A game, was it in October 1990 when you guys uh, had that battle and brawl on the pitch? I think every player got involved. 21 man brawl, wasn't it? I think, was it, was it? Was it only Les Seeley who didn't get involved? Was it Les Seeley? I can't remember. But I think, um, yeah, it was a 21-man brawl, wasn't it? it was, um, and that's something where, you know, the, the United the United Arsenal animosity actually predates Wenger, as you said. And that was the George Graham team, wasn't it? And, and Arsenal went on to win the league. And even though they were docked, um, well, they were docked, docked two points, I think, and United were docked one point. So, yeah, um, yeah and I mean, Nigel Winterburn, who wasn't, you know, uh, an angel, you know, he lunged at Denny Serwin, if I, if I recall. Um, and then it just it just all kicked off, and it's it was something that you, you you'll never I, don't, I, th- I think you won't see it this uh, you know in the modern era it would be rare and um, yeah it just all kicked off and but you know George Graham's team still went on to win the title didn't they they did did you remember that side that brawl at Old Trafford yeah it was David Seaman was the only one who didn't get was involved David, and, uh, I knew he was a goalkeeper <laughs> yeah that was it Les Seeley was getting stuck in at the time but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I remember it I you know. At that point, United weren't really our really our rivals, were they? Mm. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh, this team have cost us two points. And I really was, you know, a young Arsenal fan, disgusted at how United started the brawl, carried it on, <laughs> and we got dock points for it. So, I mean, if I watched it again now, I probably might have a different opinion. I just remember Anders Limpar being there. He was only little, wasn't he, old Anders? And he was proper getting involved as well, Anders Limpar. Yeah, I mean, do you think that is a sign of nitrous? Do you think there would be a 21-man ball? Do you think there's 21 out of 22 players that love and are passionate enough about their clubs these days that they would, they would ball for it? 
I, I think because there were so many British players in yeah. that match, that I think you know there, there, there's more of an affinity for the for, for the league and for the clubs. You know, maybe maybe I'm being jingoistic, I guess, but I, I just feel that you know you're you're, you're not going to get that now. Whereas back then, you know, you, you know, combative combative people, you know, really, you know, you know. It was going to happen. Different game, really, wasn't it? Even yeah, though we're talking about two ends of the decade, it really was a different game. Before we talk about kind of further into the decade and the big rivalry between, um, between your teams, let's take the neutral point of view from Matt. I mean, what do you remember, Ketch, from the kind of the rivalry between Wenger and Ferguson and that Arsenal-Man United rivalry? I remember the, the season, I think it was, was it 97-98, when, when Arsenal came from behind and, and, and won 1-0 at, uh, at Old Trafford. There was that guy screaming in the yeah. away end at Arsenal. And people talk about the, the lead that Newcastle blew, but I mean, how many points ahead were Man United that yeah, season? 12 points, weren't they, I think? There you go, there you go, same amount, yeah. and uh, never gets mentioned. So uh, a little bit of bitterness there from, uh, <laughs> from uh, a Geordie. But uh, no, it was, it was an incredible rivalry. And because I was still raw from, from what happened to us in 95-96, uh, I was really, really behind Arsenal season and I was delighted to, to see them win I'm not going to make that a secret mm. Thanks. Mike, Mike <laughs> the next rival yeah. so we talked Keegan so yes. what were your opinions and as Man United fans of Arsene Wenger both when he was appointed and then as the rivalry began to surface I think like everyone else who was a, who was a fan at the time even Arsenal fans um, you know who is Arsene Wenger I mean Ferguson um, what, what did he say you know he, he famously said uh, quote, they say he's an intelligent man, right? Speaks five languages. Well, I've got a 15-year-old boy from the Ivory Coast who speaks five languages. And it started, you know, and, and Ferguson, I think, realised very early on, hey, this guy knows his stuff. This guy's building something. And that's when I genuinely think that Ferguson did try and get into, in, into Wenger's head and into the Arsenal players' heads. And, um, yes, yeah, it, it started from there and then carried on, you know, for 10 years later, you know, into the 2000s. Mm. Sorry, what do we say? What was it about Wenger that really kind of you could say Fergie kind of met his match? What riled Fergie so much? What did, what was Wenger good at for Arsenal? I think there was. I mean, I think Fergie just gets riled by anyone who beats him. I mean, we have a joke that as soon as we stopped beating Man United, Fergie couldn't say enough nice things about Wenger. Mm. The one whenever Arsenal fans were on Wenger's back, wanting him to go, the one person to always come out and stick up for him would be Alex Ferguson. So I think the main thing that got under Fergie's skin was being was being beaten by him. But I also think that Fergie probably didn't like the fact that Wenger was seen and is, you know, a very, very intelligent, thoughtful person, was bringing a new culture to football. He was seen as the man that was, you know, changing training methods and that made Tony Adams from the persons people used to call a donkey into a ball-playing centre-back. I think he just didn't like the fact that his achievements were being sort of pushed aside while Wenger was being lauded as the man, the man at the moment, bringing a brand new way of life to English football. If you guys, I'll start with you, Si, if could pick out a, a game of that kind of rivalry from the 90s, what, would it be that, that trip to Old Trafford and Mark Overmars for you? Yeah, I think so. That's the one I really remember celebrating in the aisles. I think, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about a few games, but I mean, there were so many. It's really, it's really hard to pick one out. But yeah, that one at Old Trafford, that was a turning point of that season, I think. That's <laughs> always going always gonna to stick in my memory. And Mike, would, for you, would it be that semi-final in 99? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, had we lost that game, Arsenal probably would have gone on and won the double. Uh, you know, no doubt about it. That just gave United the belief, the momentum and, and ended gloriously for United. Mm. Well, that rivalry wasn't just the manager as well. They had two people on each, well, one from each side in the middle of the pitch, two of the kind of hardest competitive players we've seen in the league. Again, I'm going to go to our neutral. Keen Vieira catch. I mean, that battles on pitch don't come more fierce than those two, did it? No, I mean, it was, it was absolutely terrifying, really. You just couldn't see what would give. They were, they were both massively powerful players and both leaders of their, of their own team. And uh, it was actually really, really interesting to watch. Uh, in, in that tunnel, the tunnel scene, of course, which everyone remembers, mm. everyone else is, no one else is speaking. Everyone's just terrified of the pair of them. Even Gary Neville's behind, just looking, looking straight ahead, stony face. No one wants to get involved. No, who's going to step between those nutcases? Mm. Mike, was you know, just perfect timing, wasn't those two, to come together at a time when they were both at their pretty much their peak they both had this same style and it just was pure kind of professional hatred I suppose you could call it couldn't you yeah I mean I, I was actually gutted that, um, that that documentary came out was it a couple of years ago yeah. when they were very pally I was actually quite upset I just wanted <laughs> to still be at each other's throats 
which they they literally were, weren't they? You know, you know, a tackler come in and then you know from Keane and then Vieira, Vieira will do the same a couple of minutes later. But they can both play football as well, and they're both genuine leaders who drag their team through uh, through matches and through seasons, and you know, lifted trophies for their respective clubs. It was you know, it was titanic, and they both epitomised um, the era. I think they they both epitomised that time. That um, you know, they, we could frame. The 1990s, the rivalry between Arsenal and Man United, the uh, you know going for titles, you know ding dong battles by saying Keane on one side, Vieira on the other. Mm. And so I mean Vieira, I think Arsenal are still lacking a player like him today. Did you relish those games, especially when he was playing, knowing that you had Vieira in the middle of the park? Oh, definitely. I think Vieira is the player that sums up that Wenger Arsenal side, and it's it's strange that we've never had we've never had him back, and for a while you couldn't win the league. In fact, I don't think. Be hard to think of a league winner that hasn't had a Vieira type player. You know, the Makaleli's yeah. was was the next one along. Um, even Matic last season for Chelsea. Um, Leicester have got it this season. Right. Every team needs a yeah. Vieira type player. And it's strange that uh, yeah, strange that Arsenal never bought one since. But I mean, the ironic thing with Wenger and Keane is, um, you know, Vieira's being lined up as a future Man City manager and is very much part of the City global world. And Keane is the man who is the first person to bad mouth United, slag them off, fell out with Fergie. So it's strange that the two men most associated with our clubs and that rivalry now have nothing to do with their clubs anymore. No, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. I'm going to stay with Keane because Keane, you know, he was a few rivalries in the 90s and beyond. We know he, he's not afraid of upsetting a few people, but one person in particular... Uh, a name that probably wouldn't have gone unnoticed and probably been now players that time forgot pod that we're going to do in the future. Um, but his name is very much part of the Roy Keane world, and that's Alf Inger Haaland. I mean, Mike, this rivalry started mid-90s with a bad tackle from Alf Inger Haaland. And after that, I mean, Keane was out for him, wasn't he? He was. I mean, um, Keane didn't like the fact that, you know, that he was writhing in agony. He, he torn his cruciate ligament. And this, this person who's played for Leeds at the time, wasn't he, Haaland? where he's pointing over him and trying to suggest that he's play-acting. And, uh, yeah, and, um, and then uh, uh, you know, he just kept that in his head, waited and waited and waited. And, you know, he admitted in his book, didn't he? Premeditated, he, he nailed him. You know, he, I won't use the, the, the expletive he used in his book, but he actually got fined, you know, big time as well for that. But, yeah, he actually nailed Haaland. And it's, again, it's part of the psyche that made Roy Keane, you, you know, you either accept him for what he was, or you only got half the player. Yeah, I mean, sorry, I mean, do you remember the, the rivalry? I mean, it's it's not a nice thing to say, but it was a proper like, real hatred between the two, wasn't it, after what happened? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a real, these are some of the memories. There's, you have good and bad mem- memories of that era. And I think in the intro, when you're talking about um, David Bust and his leg and, and all of this, there's, there's, there are some bad memories of that era and some whether accidental or intentional violence from that era that you don't like to look back on. Yeah, a big rivalry there between Keane and Haaland, another one to talk about. But it seems I've got all you guys on there. Um, rivalries also between teams as well in terms of derbies. So each one of you have got quite a contested rivalry between the two sides of your each respected clubs and area. So let's talk about that just quickly. Uh, Ketch, Newcastle-Sunderland. I mean, that is probably 90s-wise. He's remembered for that fateful game towards the end of the decade and Rudhull it in the rain, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. But I mean, people forget we actually started the nineties by losing a playoff semi final. Oh, biggest, the biggest northeast one ever. They call that the biggest so, one, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're a QPR fan, so you, you know how stressful the playoffs are. But imagine play, playing your most bitter rivals in the semi final, and I think we drew the, the first like nil nil. I think John Burridge might have saved a penalty and probably thought we had the job done. But Sunderland were very good away from home that year, and, and they did us two nil at home, and that's just. Luckily, he wasn't old enough to remember that one. Um, but uh, a couple of years later, Keegan's first season in charge, we went to Roger Park. We'd, we'd won the first 12 games of, in the old Division 1, and, and that was the 13th. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, ever asked this question for, for Football 90s CV, Ash, but uh, my favourite ever picture from the 90s is... Ooh, a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. It's, it's from the gantry of Roger Park, Newcastle, in, a, in the old yellow and green kit. I think Van McEwen's lager on the front and, and O'Brien's just hit his free kick, which is the winner. And not a soul in the ground is flinching except Liam O'Brien, as well, who was just wheeling away to start his celebration. And, and, and we won 2-1. Um, and then there, the, yeah, and that, and then we went up and into the Premier League and, and didn't see Sunderland for a couple of years because uh, <laughs> they took the time getting up. 
But yeah, the, to, to talk about the one in the rain at 99, I, I mean, Rude Hullett's team sheet was more of a, a suicide note, really, leaving mm. Shearer and, and Ferguson on the bench, playing a youth team player called Paul Robinson up front. Um, I think Peter Reid said it. He didn't need to give it any team. He didn't need to give the team talk. He just said they've dropped their best two players. Um, we, we lost again. The game should have probably been called off. It was just, it was absolutely torrential rain. Um, but of course, I would say that. But in the end, you know, I think Sunderland did us a favour by beating us. If, if we'd won that game, Rude Hullett would have stayed. I think Shearer was talking about a move to Aston Villa or somewhere. He would have left, and uh, God knows where he would have ended up. So. Uh, uh, you know, in the end, it kind of worked out all right for us. And uh, unfortunately, we can't talk about the derby at St James's Park where Shearer missed a penalty because that was in 2000. Oh, we have to keep it 90s. Yeah, let's, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> let's switch to North London then. I mean, sorry, um, there was kind of some early blows in the 90s with the semi-finals when you traded blows, 91 called Gaza, and then, of course, when Tony Adams scored in 93. Are those kind of the big North London moments from the decade? Yeah, I remember the beginning of the decade, there was a huge rivalry between the sides, 91, of course, was a disaster. And I know, funny, you know, the first ever semi final at Wembley, Gaza's goal, um, Tottenham going on to win the final, um, everything was crazy. But then, two, it's amazing that two years later, 93, you get the exact chance for revenge. Tony Adams, they all call him the donkey, and the donkey won the derby and everything. So it was really, really close at the beginning of the 90s. But by the end, I remember t- people saying, you know, Man United are our rivals now. It's not Spurs anymore. Man United were the team we really wanted to beat. Um, and Spurs were really irrelevant. So I remember their biggest victory over us was nine from the halfway line, wasn't it? So, but <laughs> ironically, tables have turned now. And after all this time, they're finally, you know, they're finally on top of us again. So when it comes to it, when we're all old men doing the podcast of this decade, it's going to be very different, I think. Mm. I remember a Burkamp goal. I think it was at Highbury, was it? For kind of another classic Burkamp moment against, and it was against Spurs. Was it? He kind of took on his chest and then just smashed it into the. I think it was the bottom corner. Is that was that? That was a Tottenham against Tottenham, wasn't it? Yeah, that was against Tottenham. I can't remember what what year it was. Was yeah, it? Yeah, he slid on his knees. I always remember that celebration afterwards, which wasn't really yeah, a Burkamp thing to do. But it... Burkamp slides on his knees picture. In fact, that, that picture of Burkamp sliding on his knees is up my brother's wall it was such a such a famous one there was a really famous Thierry Henry goal but that probably is past our what we're allowed to talk about but that, <laughs> again with him celebrating in front of the Spurs fans and they all swearing those two are the two iconic Arsenal Spurs pitch again on Rio on his knees as well so it seems like if you score against Spurs you have to celebrate on your knees is what we can take from this yeah that's the passionate celebration um, Mike yeah. in Manchester again yes. I mean City weren't really your rivals in the 90s were they no, they weren't. I mean, um, it's, it's interesting that Cy talks about um, Arsenal being our rivals and we never really saw it as, as such either. We, we just felt that Arsenal were a bit of an irritant to us. Whereas for us, yeah, unfortunately for Cy, yeah. But I mean, um, it, for us, Liverpool always the rivals. They're the eternal rivals, you know. Whether they're doing well, we're doing well, we're both not doing well, they're the main rivals. But in the 90s, in terms of um, the Manchester derby, I mean, City didn't, didn't beat us once in the 90s. And um, it, you know, uh, I think the the, the best, the, the biggest game for us in the in the nineties was um nineteen ninety four when uh, we beat Man City five 0 I don't know if you remember Andre and Chelsea game. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about that was that that game was um I think just a, just over a week after we got absolutely murdered by Barcelona four 0 in the new Camp. If you remember, Romario yeah, scored so twice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, com- coming back home into the into the league. Into domestic game and then thrashing City 5-0. Uh, Mark Hughes scored and obviously Cantona was a star of the show. That that, that sort of made up for it slightly. Mm. The Liv- you may quickly mention the Liverpool rival. I mean, there were some great moments in the 90s. You talked to the three-all draw earlier yes. on. Um, Cantona's comeback as well. Yep. There, was some, there was some good... Even though Liverpool never really challenged it, and those games were still big. I mean, the 96 final as well. The white suits. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as I said, um, the Man United Liverpool rivalry, you know, for, for United fans and, and I know for Liverpool fans, Liverpool fans that I know, that is the rivalry. You know, it's the first fixture we look at. Uh, you know, when, when they come out, um, it, it is top. It can be toxic. Um, you know, we're not going to make no bone, you know, no bones about it. It can be toxic. You know, we don't like them. They don't like us. But there's also a grudging respect for each other's history. You know, the two, you know, most successful clubs in in in, in the English game and fascinating histories wonderful footballers and um it, it just it, it's it, it almost it transcends the game as always well. sort of a cultural thing as well 
The only other rivalry I'd like, you know, that we remember in the 90s was the Merseyside one. Um, I'll talk to you, Ketch, um, about this one as, the ne- as slightly nearer. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you remember about the, the Merseyside? I mean, I remember Manaman and Grobelar fighting each other. That was a memorable one from that rivalry. How about you? Yeah, I remember. Well, I, was, I like I like the Spice Boys from from the from the nineties. That was mm. that was very Britpop, wasn't it? But uh, I remember uh, was it Neil Ruddock scored the winner um, and gave himself concussion. Um, yeah, in the main night game. Yeah, yeah, and being sick in the changing room afterwards. Uh, and yeah, that was probably probably my favourite memory from from that game. But it was it was pretty intense. And uh, Liverpool really they they couldn't get really near Man United in in the nineties, um, which was a shame. But uh, no, always always love them. The the derby against uh, Man United and Liverpool. Just before we go then, I'm just going to go around to each of you and just see if there's anything else you wanted to mention, any rivals or anything kind of along that theme you wanted to mention. So that's start with you, Sire. Anything we haven't mentioned so far you just wanted to give a shout out to? Um, just that that late 90s was the best ever time to be an Arsenal fan and obviously they're going into the early 2000s and despite what a lot of Arsenal fans think about Arsene Wenger now, he gave us that time. It's like imagining you dated the most beautiful woman in the world, and then 10 years later, she's not so beautiful anymore. You're still going to really appreciate what you had. And it was just brilliant. You know, who the F for Man United? I remember us used to sing it. And, you know, we were, for a time, the best team in the country. And probably, although we never won it, the best team in Europe. And I would take exception by calling Liverpool and Man United the two most successful teams in British history. I don't think that's true. You look at which teams won the most FA Cups. You look at the only two sides that ever go unbeaten are Arsenal and Preston North End. So I don't think I don't think that was true. What hey, European Cups. That... I'm, I'm kicking off the rivalry again here, aren't yeah. I? <laughs> that's, that's quite special, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the most ever The only teams go unbeaten. When when you go unbeaten, then come back on here and tell us you're not the rivals. All right, can I just retort to that? I'll just do a retort to that. When United won the treble in 1999, throughout that whole season, United actually lost fewer games than Arsenal did in the season. You were unbeaten just in the league. And we won three trophies. Well, I'm going to stop the rivalry there because we're <laughs> keeping it in the 90s. It shut, shut me up. That's why you've got to stop it. <laughs> shut me up. Catch, please, as the neutral, uh, away from this. Anything else you wanted to mention uh, about rivalries in the 90s? No, I'm, I'm not really. Nothing in particular. I mean, just the 90s. I mean, I think Newcastle epitomised what the 90s did to football. We started the decade in this dilapidated ground with a training ground that was basically a school field at the top of a, a hill in Benwell. And we finished it with Bobby Robson as, as our manager having played in the Champions League with a 52,000-seater stadium. Um, it was just an incredible time and probably will be you know, the pinnacle of my Newcastle supporting career. Yeah, very good. Okay, Mike, I'm going to leave the last word for you because there's one rivalry we haven't mentioned. And it's quite an interesting United one. And yeah. it's because it's your own two players who didn't like each other. What yeah. The story between Sheringham and Andy Cole. Strange one. I mean, because, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I've met both of them and um, I know where my sympathies lie in terms of... Um, talking to both of them and, and being in their company. Um, but Andy Cole has said that it was because he felt embarrassed. You know, he felt that Sheringham actually, um, you know, he disrespected him. He, you know, when it was when they were playing for England and Sheringham, Andy Cole was coming on for, I think, was he coming on for Teddy Sheringham? He was. And he expected him to say, you know, good luck, Coley, something like that, ready to shake his hand. And Sheringham just snubbed him. And, you know, he, he just felt, wow. I actually feel disrespect in front of all these crowd or in front in front of this crowd, and um, yeah, and Andy Cole never let him forget it really. But they played so brilliantly together. Yeah, you know, they, they played and they scored goals. They both played in the in 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 ninety nine the, the treble season. It was it's 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 a strange rivalry. It's more you know it's off the pitch rather than on the pitch and at the same club as you said. Yeah, a very strange one. Uh, just before I go, a couple more I wanted to mention that uh, Gary, uh, Gary Dwyer on Twitter mentioned Ian Wright and Schmeichel, of course, that famous clash they had in a game between Arsenal and Main United once again. And of course, another one on Derry Rosman mentioned the Ball and Steve Walsh uh, rivalry as well. I wanted to mention the Rudy Fuller and, and Frank Reichard at Italia 90. That was a rivalry that boiled over in the World Cup. But I think we pretty much covered everything there. I mean, this ballroom rivalry with City and Spurs we could have gone into, but we have run out of time. So let me just remains to say thank you to our guest, Ketch. Thank you as always, mate. No problem. Pleasure. Sorry, Ross Dean. Thank you very much for joining us again. A lot of fun, mate. Thank you, Ash. And Mike, and thank you for sparking the rivalry back up again. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, gents. 
<laughs> thank you guys uh we'll be back next week i think we're talking a bit more main next week we may be doing the class of 92 but check out uh twitter to to find out what theme we'll be doing but that's the plan at the moment um also check out our website tomorrow because i'm putting an article on 40 things that makes you think you're a fan of 90s football so check that out tomorrow i'll put it on twitter and, you can, and you can see that and see if you agree with most of them but thank you for listening i've been ash rose keep it 90s this podcast is a west 12 media and verbal media production